0: And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So we've been doing um, a lot of singing so far. We're gonna do some more singing. And again, the theme today is all about revelation. And it does seem odd, that maybe on Thanksgiving we talk about revelation, but as I mentioned at the outset, it's by design, because as we've already talked about, and we'll read some more scripture after even I share some here for a few minutes, is Revelation is full of worship. There's other things there, other images there, there's other themes throughout, but one of the main themes throughout is worship. And so what I want to do is answer this question for us today as we, t- as we think about worship and look at worship through the lens of Revelation, and that is, why do we worship Jesus? to answer a basic question, let's just answer a very basic question. Why do we as Christians worship Jesus? And so to answer that question, I want to give you this thought, and then we'll look at a couple of passages quickly from Revelation, then we'll sing some more again. Uh, but here's, here's the statement I want to make that we're going to flesh out for a few minutes to answer the question of why we worship Jesus. And here's the idea. Your worship of Jesus is in proportion to your view of Jesus. Whether you realize it or not, your worship of Jesus is in proportion to your view of Jesus. So you can look at that either way. How you view him will determine how you worship him. Or sometimes more unconsciously you can look at how you worship Jesus is a reflection of actually how you view him. So we'll look at, we'll look at a, f- a few scriptures here today, but first what I want to do to get started is look at some views of Jesus. And I'm going to look at three or four main ones quickly, and they're all good and they're all accurate, but in some ways they are incomplete. And so if we only look at Jesus in one specific way or at one specific time or portion of his life or of Scripture, we're going to maybe worship him in an incomplete type of way. So here's the first one. We're going to getting ready to celebrate in a few weeks after Thanksgiving. Okay, I know you've already got your tree up and everything. Thanksgiving's first officially, I know, right? But after that, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So one view of Jesus is as a baby in a manger, as sort of this helpless creature that needs everyone to do everything for him. That is a view of Jesus that you can have, and it's a good one, and I love Christmas, and I celebrate Christmas, and I'm so thankful that Jesus chose to come and live on earth and go through the entire human process, like he didn't skip a step and come as a 30-year-old adult. He lived an entire life before that point. He, he lived as a child. He, I mean, he, again, was a helpless baby. So that's a great view of Jesus, but it's incomplete. That is not, I don't worship, you know, eight pounds, six ounce infant baby Jesus, okay? That's just not what we do. I don't, that's not who I pray to, okay? So that's a good view of him, but in a way it's incomplete. So we celebrate that and thank God for that, but there's more to it than that. You can view Jesus, and many do, as a teacher, and that's true, that's accurate. Of all of the storytellers in the history of the world, Jesus is maybe the best of all time. He had, he, like almost no one else could captivate an audience. He, like almost no one else, could just tell the most basic, simple, short story, and yet we still tell them 2,000 years later. He's a good teacher. If you're telling someone stories 2,000 years later, they had an impact in the teaching sphere. They made a difference by what they said and how they taught, so that's true, but guess what? I don't worship a teacher. He is a teacher. I'm glad he's a teacher. He's a great teacher, the best of the best. But I don't worship like I don't go to my kid's school and bow down to my kid's teachers. That would be weird. Okay. So if we only view Jesus as a teacher, you're probably not going to worship him. First of all, there are many people apart from faith who would say, "Yeah, Jesus was a great teacher," but they don't worship him because that's all, the only way they see him is as a teacher. So that's true, but it's not the only thing. Sometimes we might see him as a miracle worker. And He did all these things. He gave sight to the blind. And he, he gave you know, hearing back to the deaf. And he made the lame walk. And he even rose some people from the dead. Like That's a really cool thing. But if we're not careful and we only view Jesus in terms of a miracle worker, our worship can be self-centered if we're not careful. Because I begin to worship Jesus for what he does or I, for what he did. Oh, that was great. You were powerful then. But maybe we don't believe he can do it now if that's all we see him as. Or we're tempted to see him, again, for only what he does. I'm going to worship you and keep my fingers crossed that if I praise you long enough, hard enough, you'll do anything I ask, anything I want, right? That can be a very selfish way to worship Jesus if we only view him in that incomplete way, even as great as this is as a miracle worker. Then there's really, the, I think, one of the best views of Jesus, and that is, a, is what Isaiah 53 calls the suffering servant on the cross. Now, I am absolutely thankful for the cross, So I am not trying to denigrate this view of Jesus But what I am saying is the suffering servant on the cross Is still an incomplete view of Jesus Because Jesus is not still on the cross And he died a physical, literal death But guess what? He's not still physically, literally dead So to just say, well, that's the picture of Jesus, yes, I'm thankful for it, we sing about it, I preach about it, yes, but there's still one more step beyond just the crucifixion that I think is equally important, and equally, maybe even more powerful, and that is he defeated death. So that's the first image that we're going to look at. Again, we'll look at these pretty quickly, and then I'll stop talking, don't get concerned, okay? But Revelation gives us, as John has this vision of Jesus, okay, he sees jesus in a very unique way and he describes his vision of jesus in very unique ways and he gives us what i think is a full complete view of why we worship jesus now not not just because he was a baby although that's great not just because he was a great teacher or a miracle worker and not simply or only because he died on the cross but because he rose from the dead, and now he's alive forevermore. So this is the first view in Revelation chapter, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. This is John's opening to his letter, and here's how he describes Jesus at the beginning of Revelation. He says, Grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. The powerful news about why we worship Jesus is because he is a risen savior. He's victorious over death. So what he did on the cross is something that other people would not do, sacrificing himself for the behalf of someone else who deserved the penalty he was receiving. But in rising from the dead, he did what no one else could do. No one else could do that. Only the Holy Spirit regenerating the physical, literal body of a dead man without the prayers of anyone or the assistance of anyone or the faith of anyone just chose to rise from the dead. No one else would have done what Jesus did on the cross, but the complete picture is that then Jesus did what no one else could do. It was impossible. Resurrection just does not happen, especially in the way that (laughs) Jesus did it. So he did what no one else would or could do. And so the death of Jesus offers forgiveness for sins for this life. But then the resurrection of Jesus ensures victory over death and gives us hope for the life that is yet to come. He says here he's the first to rise from the dead. That's, that's really our hope. If our faith is in Christ, our hope is in the forgiveness of sins on the cross. But then the hope is that we will, in some form or fashion, in some way, defeat death just like Jesus did. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to be in your grave for a couple days and you're magically going to, you know, come out of the grave and walk around for a few days, but he's, he's that type. He's that shadow. He's that, you know, hey, here's what it's going to look like. I defeated death so you can defeat death too. So Jesus is worthy of our praise because he has risen from the dead. And then in chapter 1, he goes on to describe Jesus in this way. Now, I want you to think, picture when I say Jesus, picture in your brain what, what that looks like, what he looks like, Okay? Just think about it for a second. Now, here is how John sees Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. John says, When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. This is verse 12 of Revelation 1. And then standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. So far, so good, right? Jesus wearing a robe with a sash. I can deal with that, okay? Here's the, the rest of his description. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire, his feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Then when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. So this vision of Jesus, this description is wacky, right? It is crazy towns. Like when I think about Jesus, that is not the first thing I think of hair white like wool, you know, like laser eyes like Superman, you know, red eyes of fire, feet of bronze, like that's not, but that's how he appears to John. And we have to think, again, Jesus may to us seem like a distant character in a story, or we even believe he was real, but that was so long ago, and it's hard for us to relate to a relationship with him a lot of times. But John, who has this vision, was one of Jesus' closest friends. Like they were like, he's like Jesus' little kid brother almost in many ways. And yet when he sees his Friend, in this vision, it so impacts him and blows him away, he falls down on the ground prostrate as though dead. Like that's the power and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus to John. And so this vision was powerful to him, and I hope it's powerful for us. Again, look at these descriptions quickly. He says he was hair white like snow, so Jesus is pure, eyes like fire, Jesus is intense. In his love for you, he's intense. In his care for you, he's intense. Feet like bronze, he's strong. He's powerful. He's, he said his voice thundered like ocean waves. That kind of goes back to Psalm 29.5 where it says the voice of the Lord breaks the mighty cedars. The voice of Jesus in this uh, description is that same way. He's mighty. He's brilliant. He's beautiful. He's powerful. So this vision of Jesus is complete because this is not puny baby Jesus helpless baby Jesus. This is not really good guy, great teacher Jesus. This is something beyond comprehension. This is why we worship Jesus. There's one final description that we'll look at for a second, and it's near the end of Revelation. So we've been in chapter one, but then we see at the end, Revelation chapter 19. Let me turn there. Oh, I even had it marked and forgot. So chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, is the kind of the final vision picture that we get of jesus from john and it's probably uh, it's another weird one in some ways but it is powerful here's what it says revelation 19:11. then i saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there its rider was named faithful and true for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war his eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns a name was written on him that no one understood except himself he wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in its finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. That's why we worship Jesus. He is king of all kings and Lord of all lords. So this final view of Jesus, the proper view of Jesus, is this. He is supreme over everything. He's in control of everything. He's in complete control of the universe. He's supreme over everything and everyone. He's incomparable in his power and authority. He's unparalleled in his wisdom and strength. He's unmatched in his reign and his rule. There is no problem that you face that this Jesus, this mighty, powerful, victorious Jesus, cannot handle. There is no struggle that you face that's beyond his capability to control. There is no hurt that you endure that he hasn't suffered far worse, first of all, and been victorious over that, and then can lead and guide and heal us through that. There is no sin that you can commit that's too great for this victorious king to forgive. There is no issue that you face that is uh, over his ability to handle. He has not, will not, and catch this, he cannot fail. This is the end of the whole book. This is the final true full picture of Jesus victorious, ruling the nations, in complete sovereign control. So your, your problem, your issue is not too big for him. It is for you, but not for him. Your worries and fears are overwhelming to you, but not for him. He's overcome death. He's overcome hell. He's overcome sin. He is victorious in all things. He is the eternal, perfect, sinless, resurrected, victorious, powerful second person of the Trinity. This is why we worship Jesus. This is why he is worthy of our praise. This is why I hope that even this year, this Thanksgiving, you keep this view of Jesus in mind. That yes, life is way less than perfect. And yes, we all are dealing with struggles and sins and interpersonal conflict, and we're dealing with emotions and we're dealing with all sorts of things in our lives. But Jesus is victorious. King of kings, Lord of Lords, all-powerful, supreme over all. And so that's why we sing and celebrate him in song today. But the hope is, the goal is, as Paul says in Romans 12, that we live our lives daily as a living sacrifice, right? It's our spiritual act of worship, and so I hope that we can just, even as we sing, continue to worship him in song, but then as we leave this place today, live it out, and then even on, especially, especially on Thursday, where we set aside for thanks, remember, it's not just thanks in general or just a blanket, I'm thankful, but it's to Jesus. It's for him, and it's because of him. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you again for your son Jesus. Thank you that he did come as a baby to, to live among us as one of us. We're thankful for that. He was a great teacher. He was a miracle worker. We're thankful for that. He is our savior who died on a cross and we are so thankful for that. That is, that is our, our ultimate hope. But really beyond that is that he rose from the dead. He defeated sin on the cross and death through his resurrection. Now he is our mighty king of kings and lord of lords. We are so thankful for Jesus. We worship Jesus. We love him and give our lives to him and live our lives for him. And so I pray that as we continue to worship in song this morning that, again, you would be exalted and lifted up and magnified for the great, wonderful, powerful God that you are. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name.